We're looking at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we've been in this section for a few weeks now, looking at 1 Corinthians and a series of messages on the cross and on Christ, and I always try on Sunday morning to keep our our focus on Christ. Uh, That's really what we call a Christological-centered message or whatever, and uh, I'm a firm believer that, well, Jesus said it actually. He said, if I be lifted up from above the earth, I will draw all people unto myself. And if we lift up Christ in our conversation, in our study, in our giving, in our singing, in everything, every aspect of our worship, I believe that he draws people to himself. And that's, the, I think, the, not a secret, really, because he openly declared it, but I think that's a, a good focus. And so sa- Sunday mornings, I often do that. On Sunday nights, we've been going through the book of Romans now for a long time, and we're looking at, uh, we're been looking at the doctrinal and the practical section of Romans, and we're getting into that. So feel free to join us anytime with that as well. But this section here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 10, sort of midstream to where we left off last week. And we'll read here starting, it says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Lord, it is our, our, our grateful, uh, really, uh, opportunity as we open up your word this morning with hearts, I, I trust, that are prepared to receive it. Thank you for the promises that are found right here in these verses that the Spirit of God teaches. And he's able to bear witness of the Savior. And we ask that the Savior might be exalted today among us. And as we look at these these passages, Lord, that you would make things clear to us as only you can do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the benefits of living on the uh, east side of Madawaska is I get to, in the real cold weather, I get to get all the fog that's generated from the mills and from the the waste treatment facility that's across the river and everything else. The steam, they call it steam inversion, you know, because the water vapor goes up and then it just comes right back down and settles. And often in the morning when I'm coming into town, uh, you're, you're, I'm in a fog bank, literally, you know. And uh, those of you that have to travel through that regularly, you know what it is. And then you get on this, usually this side of town, and it clears. And it's like, just like that. You drive out of the fog, and you could be in, in uh, sunny weather and blue sky. Uh, and uh, that sometimes, you know, we have those analogies spiritually as well. Uh, sometimes we, we, we're kind of there in the, in the fog bank. And in and of ourselves, that's how we're born. We're born blind by nature, spiritually. And you might have great vision, 2020 vision, but you, uh, in and of ourselves, we never have good spiritual vision. And what this section of Scripture is talking about here is, is clearing the fog, sort of, as I would put it, where you have uh, how the process by where we see Christ and the cross and the message of the cross, that's the previous section that we were looking at, how that is open to our minds and our hearts and how we understand those things. And they only come as a result of God giving us clear spiritual vision. 
And it's his work, and it's his ministry in that. Well, we're part of that because we also are the instruments as God's people. We're commanded to go out and to tell people about Christ and to, to teach others and do that. That's part of the Great Commission. That's why we have missionaries and, and all of that. Um, it's why we have all kinds of activities happening in February, and it's a busy month. I was looking at the schedule, and I was like, wow, you know, uh, there's no time to do anything else, I don't think. But anyways, there's lots of opportunities if you want to uh, do crafts and get together and have a good you know time of fellowship and we try in any gathering we get to just kind of you know do so uh, with the expectation that you have those kind of uh, you know great encouragement conversations with one another and sometimes introducing people to christ and all that so be in prayer this month as we have many activities planned and it's it should be more than things just to fill the calendar right it's all part of ministry really is what it is well, this passage talks about some things here, and, um, and really, uh, the, the bottom line is there are, are some important truths about the Holy Spirit. We've gone from a picture of who Christ is, Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and all three members of the Trinity of one divine essence, and that's sort of a short answer for the Trinity. I uh, realize that you cannot, in a... Uh, you know finite realm we're in explain away the infinite god you can't do that but we see throughout scripture the triune god involved in everything from creation all the way from uh not only from creation but you know the issues like here talking about salvation and throughout scripture you have that matter of fact in the book of ephesians and um, this is the section I want to go to, but First Peter is also another verse that clearly explains it. But here, look what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the Father and the Son. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who were first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's the Spirit of God at work in salvation. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Now, there's a lot of words there and a lot of wordy things there, but in really the simplicity of the way Paul lays out the book of Ephesians, he's just saying this, that uh, God did his work in us, the triune God. God the Father gave the Son. The Son gave himself at the cross. 
And the Spirit of God seals those who will trust the Son, seals them onto the day of redemption. He's a guarantee of our salvation. And the word there for the guarantee in the Old English, it's earnest, I believe. And it's a down payment. In other words, he's given to us now to guarantee the full inheritance someday when we're in heaven. We know, just as if you were to go and to buy a, a house or buy a car, you, you submit a down payment. And that is a promise that the rest is yet to come, right? Man doesn't always keep his promises, but God always does. And the Spirit of God is our uh, guarantee of that inheritance. That's what Paul's teaching about also there in 1 Corinthians. And he says here, as he's referring to how things happened, you have God doing the process from eternity past. And I don't always understand all that because, and I know it's quite controversial among Christians, we, we talk about the words like election and predestination, we throw those around easily. I can just say it this way, as, as easy as I can put it. What you see in Scripture, where God willed from the very past, eternity past, that He had a plan in place, that the Son would go to the cross, He would die uh, a preordained death. It was actually a bloody death. He would shed His blood. And you say, well, why would God choose that method? Because the Bible says the life is in the blood. And God took my place, literally. God the Son took my place at the cross. He died in my place because of my sin condemned me. And the Bible says that God laid that plan in place before the foundations of the earth even. And yet, at the same time, in this same section of Ephesians, it says, for those who trusted him. That implies, I think clearly, that man has a will. Man has a will to exercise, right? Every man, woman, child, whatever. We have a will. We can say yes or no when God reveals himself to us. And we see that that's his ministry. He does the, the, the re- revealing, the calling, the illuminating, all of those kind of terms. But when it comes to that, then man has to be obedient to that or disobedient. And simply saying no, not now is being disobedient, really, because the invitation is, is now. The Bible says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he said, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of provocation, right? In other words, don't harden your heart and say, no, I won't, be, I won't let you uh, impress your mark upon me. Uh, and we'll talk some more about that a little bit later here. But the Bible, I think, is very clear on this. Although, when we don't know the Lord, and when the Spirit of God is not with us to teach us, and the, for the unsaved person or the person that is, has rejected Christ or is, remains in their sin, you can use a number of different terms that the Bible describes, the Bible says that we, uh, we don't understand the spiritual things of God because they are spiritually discerned. And I know that in my own life, practically speaking. I, I went through much of my early childhood into my teen years and all that in what I call my spiritual fog bank. You know, you, you have bits and pieces of things you see and you say, yeah, probably Christ is an important religious figure out there and probably Buddha is too. And, you know, there, there's this and there's that and there's all these different worldviews that come at you. And you say, which one's right? I don't know. It's all in the big fog bank. All of a sudden I began to open up the Bible and read and the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and he began to uh, show me from the Bible the very simple portions of the Bible that uh, it's all about Christ and all of a sudden the fog began to lift and then there came a point where I realized in my own life uh, in May of 1988 after hearing the the Bible explained and 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 put to a, a very clear presentation 
I realized that I was a sinner and that I needed Christ as my Savior. And that's why he came, to save me from my sins. For me, and I'm saying individually because it has to come to the individual. You do not, even though you may be born so-called into a Christian family and a Christian nation, all that, that is not what makes you a Christian. A Christian is one who accepts or trusts Christ by faith and follows him and is, is like unto him. That's what the word Christian means. And it's a title that was given to the early uh, followers of Christ. And I say that because the Spirit of God comes into play here because even before we are saved, before we understand these things, He begins His work of calling and reproving sin, you know, convicting of us, convicting us of our sin, uh, convicting us of those things and the guilt that comes with that, but also showing us a way of salvation. And all that's part of His ministry uh, in that. And then there comes a time where we have to say yes or no. And uh, I know, again, it initiates with God. Man's involved in that. We see here in this section, and uh, oh, by the way, in first, uh, oh, I have uh, the wrong verse there. Sorry about that. I skipped over something, Sam. I'm looking for First Peter. Maybe I don't. No, I'm going to have to refresh this. That's what happened. So I'll let that uh, come back up. But you have that one from First Peter? Good. And as that's, I'm going to call my proclaimed presentation back up. Sometimes this happens. I uh, loaded this before I, I added something and it brought in last week's stuff. This is what happens when you rely too much on technology. It says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. And then go to the next verse. Is, is it there? Okay, we're good. All right. Well, what I'm looking at here is, on, again, on this, you have the picture of the Spirit of God. You have a picture of uh, God the Father who's involved in the giving and God the Son who is the one who provided the way, the sprinkling of the blood, as he talks about there with, by faith. <clears throat> I'll call my other presentation back up. What you have here also is, uh, again, to understand that without the Spirit of God, you cannot come to faith in Christ. He is vital and part of that whole process and um, helps not only uh, bring to light you know, the, the reality of salvation, but to clearly define those things. And he teaches, and he continues to do so from the moment of, really, salvation all the way through, even before salvation, because he illuminates, the, even he has a ministry to, to the sinner, but also to those who have trusted him, he continues to teach, he continues to do that. And often, uh, without him, we grope in darkness as spiritually blind people. There is the old parable of, of, uh, that came out of the country of India, and it, you know, ancient parable of uh, blind men who were in a village, and someone brought an elephant into the village, and they uh, asked the blind men to go out and to describe the elephant. And of course, a blind man can't see, so the blind men went out, and they, they went out, and they uh, each grabbed a different part of the elephant. The first one went out, and he, he grabbed the leg of the elephant, and he said, ah, this, this animal must be like a tree, because it has a, a, a very thick leg, and it must be like a tree. Another one was standing there, and it grabbed the trunk, and felt the strength of the trunk, said, must be like a snake, I mean, a really strong, muscular trunk. The other one was touching the side of the elephant. He said, oh, the elephant's like a wall. Must be a wall. That's the way it's shaped. The other one was near the ear, and as the ear waved back and forth, he felt it. the wind blowing across him, and he said, he must be like a bird, must have wings. 
and you could go down different parts. But if you've seen an elephant, and I trust everybody here has, has at least seen a picture of an elephant somewhere, you know that all those are partly true, but they don't really give you the full picture of what an elephant looks like. And a lot of times that's how people come to so-called, I guess, religion. I, I don't like to use that word, but, but that's really what people do. They borrow and take and they bring this and bring that. And they're all bits and pieces, some even measure of truth to some of that, but then sometimes a lot of false things. Because if you thought an elephant looked only like a tree, that's not true, okay? Or if you think an elephant looks like a snake, that's not true, all right? But there are certain measures of uh, truth to various things, right? You have that. There are really some vital questions that come out of this section of Corinthians. And um, you have really how God has revealed things through his spirit. And it says, For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. You might know some superficial things about the Lord, but you can never know the deep things of God unless you have the spirit of God. And, and that is not like, you know, somebody standing up here saying, oh, you know, I know something you don't know, nah, nah, you know, all that. Sometimes Christians try to do that. And that's not the, the, what he's saying here. He's saying it's a, he's available, that we can have the spirit of God. Need only trust Christ by faith. And as you do that, he will open up your eyes to those things. And I'm thankful for that. Because you know what? There are lots of smart people out there. People with all kinds of degrees and, and they've studied all kinds of different things and, and they're good, you know, go to some of those people for knowledge and all that. But the deep things of God only come from knowing him personally. And as you open up his Bible and learn of him. Other than that, you can't. And that's why, you know, be, beware of people that have lots of titles behind their names and they call themselves, you know, experts in, in faith and things like that. Because sometimes they don't, they don't know because they don't know the Lord. And yet, someone who is very, maybe doesn't have any uh, formal training or very little formal training uh, can know things at a deeper level than someone who has a, a PhD, PhD, something like that, uh, on these same affairs, you know. And I say that, I, I marvel at that when I look out and I, some of the smartest people I ever knew that knew the Bible very well were people that just got into the Word of God. They knew Him first, but then they got into the Word of God and just learned it and memorized it and went through things and we're able to answer people okay for as the bible says uh, be ready to give an answer uh, a defense right of uh, the gospel right and the answer to the hope that is within you as peter puts it and we need to do that <clears throat> he goes on to say this for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, what Paul is saying here is just a very simple fact and reality is this, that how can you know uh, uh, what a person is like, another human being, unless you yourself are human, right? I mean, think of that. It's one thing to... to uh, I don't think my dog ever understands me fully, okay? Uh, now, we get along and really well, and you know, he, he has a way of communicating and... And he knows what I'm often thinking before I even say something. Like if I'm going out for a walk, he just knows that. And he just gets, you know, all excited and all that. But my dog, I, I hate to say it, I don't think he really cares about my bank account. As long as he's getting treats and food, he's happy, you know. He doesn't worry about uh, my, my future necessarily. I don't think he does anyways. 
I really think my dog is pretty much... Now, I could try to understand him, but I can't do that either. I don't even know what he's thinking half the time. Sometimes he just sleeps. That's it, you know? And I, I look at that and I think, all right, you know, we can try to figure that out, but I am not a dog. He's not a person, all right? I can't know him in the same way I would know, hopefully, you know, someone who is also a human being, right? But yet, even on that process, we don't always understand what the other person is thinking, right? I mean, how many of you are married, right? I mean, well, no, you don't have to. But you know what I mean. You, you, can, say, you can say, oh, I think I know what my wife is thinking, and then you find out that's not what she was thinking, or vice versa uh, in that way. And you listen, but you don't, and then she hopefully wants to hear something that she doesn't. You know, those things, right? We back, back and forth. Communication. Well, what Paul is saying here with the Spirit of God is very simply this, that we could not know the mind of God unless God somehow was able to come and partake of flesh. And that's exactly what Jesus did, didn't he? The the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, came and put on flesh. That's the incarnation, literally to put on flesh. And he walked among us, the Bible says, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus walked on this earth, first being conceived in a virgin's womb, born, and also having grown up and walking and all that, the Bible talks of him saying that he he grew in both wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man. You realize that the eternal God had to put on flesh and humbled himself to the point where he had to go to school. I mean, even before that, had to have someone take care of him. To change his diaper, right? To feed him. To have to go to school and memorize your Hebrew alphabet, right? And to learn your numbers and all your tables and all those different things. And you say, well, why would he do that? The one who the Bible declares is infinite in wisdom, why would he humble himself into that? Because he took on flesh so that he might relate to us. And in doing so, now we can relate to him. Knowing that he has been the one who has, uh, you know, he can direct us the right way, for sure. In him, we are found in faith and headed towards heaven, right? All that part of his plan. In the Spirit of God, Jesus said that he was going to ascend into heaven. In the Gospels, he told his disciples that. But he says, I send another comforter, another of the same kind, is the, the word that is used there for the word another. It's the Greek word alos. And uh, it, it means another of the same kind. And he was saying this, he's going to send, the, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what happened. In the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God was given to those who believed. And he resided with them and on them and in them here he talks about uh, that he's in christ and in us but then in the book of ephesians he says he is sealed unto the day of redemption and so you actually have the seal of the holy spirit on you now we can relate to god because we have the holy spirit see i don't i don't see christ physically he's not walking among me in that way but the holy spirit residing in believers is evidence of him and what he's like by the way, all this is dependent upon him and not on me. And so really there's no boasting in things or anything like that. I'm thankful that God can take sometimes the hardest of hearts and he can open them, he can melt them at times. Back in 1990, um, October 31st, 1990, I remember the date because it was Halloween and uh, I ended up, I was at uh, my first year at Bible school and 
Uh, I was invited that night by Ed Seeley. Some of you know Ed. Um, Ed was doing uh, some jail ministry in the Woodstock jail, and he invited a couple of us along to go out for the Bible study. And Ed, of course, bring his guitar, and he would uh, do a Bible study with these men. There was about 25 men, that uh, maybe 30 men that showed up that night, and, and some women as well that were there at the county jail in Carlton County. And uh, we had a, a Bible study about an hour long, and it was a particularly warm time of the year. Don't, not, you don't, usually it's October 31st is cold, but it was warm. And I remember it was so hot that night in the jail, they had the windows open. Now, there were still bars on the windows, but you know what I mean? They, they had the windows open. And there was a woman outside. She was, uh, we had walked in, and mind you, this jail sits in the middle of Woodstock, and there's houses all around it, okay? Uh, it's just an old kind of courthouse building. And there was a woman who's sitting on her, in her front yard dressed up as a witch. And she had really eerie music playing. <laughs> and she was cackling like a witch. And she was doing that kind of stuff. And, I, and we're trying to do a Bible study. And all this is coming in the window. You know, you can hear this outside. And I, said, I thought, no one's going to hear this tonight, what we're doing. And yet, I watched as those men just, and the, the, some women that were there too, they were just, just enthralled at what Ed Seeley was saying and talking about. We had spent a number of uh, days in prayer over the various ministries that were going on there with the outreach of the school. And you know, at the end of that hour and a half service or so that we had at Bible study, Ed Seeley gave an invitation for people to come and to kneel down and to, uh, you know, confess and believe on Christ. And he, he just gave a very simple gospel invitation. And there were over 20 of those people that did that. 20 of them. And some of these guys, I mean, if you ran their names through things, you would have known them. And, you know, some of them were pretty rough characters. But you know what? They, um, I really believe many of those truly trusted Christ. That was 1990. I, just a couple weeks ago, I was at the NBBI men's retreat there. And somebody came up to me and said, oh, so-and-so was here the other day in our chapel. And they were talking about their prison ministry they were involved in. And he gave a name, and I sort of, the name rang a bell. And it was a young man that had uh, gone to jail during that time and had uh, been converted. And after he got out of prison, Ed Seeley asked me if I'd go and meet with him regularly and help, I guess, what you call disciple him. And we went through some Bible studies there in his apartment, and I remember doing that. And over the years, I totally lost track of him, had no idea where he was or anything like that. And come to find out now, he's a leader in an organization that reaches out to prisoners. And I, and I thought, that's, that's the Lord. The Lord can do that. He can take at times when, you know, all the noise and distractions and all the things are going on, and he can just sharpen your attention enough to say, ah, it's about Christ, and I need him. And sometimes he has to get us to a point in our life where our hearts are softened. And, and I think that's a good start when guys sometimes are stuck in a prison somewhere, most of the time for their own making and what they've done, very poor choices and sin gets you there. But then all of a sudden, at the rock bottom, they look up. And you know, I hate to say it, but there'll probably be far more prisoners who were former prisoners some you know standing with the lord someday in grace and forgiveness in christ's righteousness because they looked up during their time then many who you know they had they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth and never had to look anywhere because they just you know everything seemed to be in order and and i say that because sometimes god has to do that is crush us and break us and bring circumstances into our life that does that 
or that do that. Oh boy, I need to move on here. The Bible talks about this, and, and again, um, it's through what the Spirit of God's ministry. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. And there's a context here to lay this out, a contrast, I should say, where it talks about the Spirit of this world. And I really believe there's, there's three elements of, of an enemy that battles for us all the time. It always is battling against us. There's, there's our own flesh, all right? The flesh cries out to, to do that which is, you know, maybe pleasurable for a season, but then it, it will leave you empty in and of itself. And eventually the flesh wears out, okay? But it's always battling us, even if it's just the aches and pains that wear you down and the attitudes of those things. But then there's also the world system itself. And that also, the spirit of the world here, I believe is a reference more to Satan here, but, it, but, it's, but there's also that world system that is constantly saying, you need to be like this and patterning your life after this. And that for the Christian, it's a constant battle. But also, there is also, as the Bible puts it, the God of this world, small G-O-D, and that's Satan. That's a term. He's called the prince and power of the air. That's this realm. And he's very active. And, and I believe, as Jesus believed, all right? Jesus, you know, believed that there was a devil, all right? And there are a lot of people today say, I don't believe in the devil, you know, all that. Well, he's got you fooled then. And be careful because he also is there. And he doesn't come as the guy probably dressed up in the red pajamas with the little pitchfork and horns. You know, he'll come with, as somebody who maybe can, you know, present such an eloquent argument that it'll just enthrall you and trap you forever in that philosophy or that bad doctrine and sometimes it's just a matter of unbelief and coming in that way and i say all that because that's how often those things work but he he says in comparison or contrasting to that but the spirit who is from god and that's the great thing is that we need not fall into that pattern of what the enemy wants Instead, for the believer, we have God the Holy Spirit residing within us, and now we can go that route. And that's why he's writing to the Corinthian church initially. He's writing to them to establish these things. When uh, you follow through the rest of this book, and I don't think we'll stay in this book with all these other uh, things. I'm going to just have a couple more messages out of First Corinthians. But if you read through the rest of this letter that Paul writes... This was a young church that had lots of problems. And there were believers there that they had problems with fighting and uh, uh, discord would be the word that was used. And boy, that happens sometimes among believers, doesn't it? Uh, There was problems with um, fornication and also things that were going on that, you know, you'd say, well, that should never be addressed, you know, in in the context of a church. What, What do you mean here? There was a man who was in chapter 5, you read about it there, uh, you know, sleeping with his um, stepmother. And, and that's, that's in there. And, you know, there's lots of things. By the way, you know, you can read through the scriptures and be well educated on the heart of man, okay, on those things. Uh, there were lots of issues. There were people taking themselves to court or taking each other to court and suing each other. Um, these all are these issues. But Paul backs it right up in the very front of this letter and he says, but you have these things, right? And he lays out the establishment of salvation, but then he says the Holy Spirit in the midst of this. And he's the one that instructs us and teaches us and helps us to live godly lives. And right doctrine will lead to right living. And so he wrote these letters to set things in order with that. I think it's uh, tremendously important with that.
Keep in mind, without the Spirit of God, there's nothing you can do <laughs> uh, to make yourself be brought back to life, is spiritual life. It says here in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3, And he, and you, excuse me, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So here, Paul, I think, in, when he writes to the Ephesian church, he's laying things out very clearly and saying that uh, there is a, a spirit, not the Holy Spirit, that walks or works, excuse me, to make us walk disobedient. And that's our bent right away. Among whom also we all once, now not some, but all, all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Well, you can say, well, I don't know. I mean, I know some good people out there. And, and I, I've, I've mentioned, you know, before, I had a guy that um, I, were, I served with in the Pennsylvania National Guard when I was there for a little bit. And he was a very moral guy. Um, he was my lieutenant. And I remember he, his conversation, you, could, you would think he was, you know, he never swore. Um, he didn't drink, you know. He didn't do a lot of other things that some of the other guys were involved in. And I kind of mistook that one day. And I said to him, I was sitting with him there, and I said, hey, sir, I said, are you a Christian? Because I, I, he kind of talked like a Christian in many ways. And he looked at me, and he says, no. He says, I'm an atheist. But I'm probably the most moral atheist you'll ever see. That's what he said. And it kind of not only shocked me, but kind of just surprised me to realize that, you know, sometimes... You can look okay on the outside. But according to what Scripture lays that out, if you, if you do not believe on Christ, you're a child of wrath. And the wrath of God abides on you because you're not in Christ. And He suffered the wrath of God at the cross and He took our punishment. And if you don't go to Him by faith in that, that punishment still resides on you. It's that simple. No matter how good you sound or how good you smell, or whatever else, or what family you come from, or, or where, what country you come from. Guess what? If you don't know Christ, you're lost. And the wrath of God abides on you. And it's important that we understand that in the, those things. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. None righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. That's God's perspective on man's efforts. See, you'd say, but you, you don't know. I mean, I, there's, there are people that are far more religious than I'll ever be. I say that because they'll, they go to church every day, you know. Uh, or they, they've done all these different things that they want to do, or they've done these different pillars of their faith, or whatever it is, and they've checked off all the check marks. But the Bible says if that's what you're relying on to get you to heaven, you're, you're sorely lost. I hate to say it, because he says there's really none that doeth good. Even the best of our works are not good enough. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't care if you can you know, think of somebody who can jump real high and uh, you know, they, they can almost reach the ceiling, but they can't quite, and I wouldn't even come close. You know what I mean? That we all fall short, essentially, in that way. And that's what he's talking about. 
No one really understands. No one seeks God in and of themselves. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And he comes to give you light, illumination, uh, correction, and also to bring us to salvation. He leads us along. And I think that's part of it. And when that opportunity is presented before you and those things are made clear, you have to be in obedience. Say, Lord, I believe. Or you become, at that. I really believe, disobedient at that point uh, in that. We were talking about being sealed, and that's one of the terms that was used there. And by the way, John chapter 3, verse 7, I end with this verse, but in John chapter 3, verse 7, you have the conversation of John chapter 3 of a man named Nicodemus. He's a religious man. He's the Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. He was a man that could have quoted the first five books of the Bible to you verbatim because that's what was part of the requirements to become a Pharisee, meaning a keeper of the law. And he could take the books of Moses, he could quote those. He could take probably most of the Psalms and do the same thing. He knew his Bible, and yet he didn't know the Lord. And when he comes to Jesus by night, and he, he asks uh, Jesus some very simple things, you know, about things. He, first he addresses him, he says, I know you're a, you know, he calls him rabbi, master. You're a teacher sent from God. And, and had, the miracles Christ had done had caught the attention of the Pharisees and others. And Jesus makes this statement to, to Nicodemus. He says, except a man be born again, he says, or do not marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. But he says, except a man be born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that's right here in this section of scripture. And I called that verse up because it says, you must be born again. When I was... Uh, before I became a Christian, I heard that term a few term, a few times. And I remember thinking, oh no, those born-again Christians, those crazy, you know, holy rollers, right? Maybe they joined a cult and ran off to Texas or something like that. And that's the term that was used. And again, I was in a fog bank spiritually. And a lot of times that's what people, uh, I think, come to the Lord in that way. Or they, they think they are, you know, in that. But the, that's a Bible term. And when I was reading my Bible and I came to John's Gospel and I came to chapter 3, I just shook my head and I thought, wow, Jesus said you had to be born again. He goes on in that passage. And, and if you, don't, you, know, you want more information, you turn to John chapter 3 and you read it prayerfully and you go right down through it. And he talks about being born literally from above. And he talks about the Spirit who blows upon you. you know? That's the giving of the life, spiritual life. Just as we were born physically, we all have a mother, right? Gave birth to us, and we celebrate those earthly birthdays, all that. That was uh, when I was born into Adam's race of people, a sinful race. To get out of Adam's race, or the consequence of Adam's race, I should say, you have to be born again. And uh, Nicodemus asked Christ, can a man go into his mother and be born again? You know, that way he was referring to as being born, like, physically again. He wasn't talking about that. It's talking about a spiritual birth. It's that simple. All that is found in the Bible. And I, I know I haven't done this justice this morning, but I just say this. Perhaps God has softened your heart over the last months, years, whatever. Maybe you already know the Lord, and that's great. You know, that's between you and Him. But really, just like wax, you know, when you think about the old uh, letters that used to be sent and somebody would seal their, they would put their seal on it, on melted wax really that's how the heart has to be too it has to be sometimes softened and melted to a point where god can put his mark and we let him do it at that point 
It's important. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your only begotten Son for us to take our place, to take our punishment, to clothe us, clothe us in his righteousness. And thank you, Lord, so much for that. Thank you, Lord, also for his grace that is given. And we can even see it and understand it because he walked among us. He, and Lord, thank you that you also know what it's like to be human because you put on flesh. You know what it's like to be thirsty and hungry and tired. And you know what it's like to even face death and to die. And thank you, Lord, death did not hold the Lord Jesus, but he rose again on that third day and is victorious over the greatest enemy we have, which is death. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who has given to us as a down payment and as a seal of our redemption. And we ask, Lord, even now in the quietness of this moment here, that if there's anybody here that's a stranger to you, that today they would call out in faith and trust you, turn from their sin and just trust you. It's that simple. And we just thank you for all that. In Jesus' name, amen.